Sound Design. So welcome to the Sound Engineer's Path, or as I like to think of it, the Surviving the Fire Swamp, if you guys are familiar with The Princess Bride. I'm Nathan Lively. Today you are going to discover the five most common career paths in audio, how to choose which path is best for you, the secret to staying the course and the top mistakes that lead us astray, and at least one Princess Bride reference, I promise. Uh, If you're wondering if you're in the right place, this webinar is for sound engineers, sound designers, audio technicians, and anyone else who wants to build a lifelong career in audio by working smarter instead of harder. So in exchange for an hour of your time, I'm going to tell you everything I know so you'll have an advantage or an unfair advantage when you head out into the frightening swamp of professional audio. I hope that by the time we're done here, you will have a clear idea of your current position on the path and where you are headed. So the way I see life, we all have something we want, something that represents a greater quality of life than we have now. To get there, everyone must pass through a swamp filled with challenges. You could have a terrific job, a terrific life if you could make it across that swamp. But there are all manner of dangerous things, fire spurts, quicksand, and rodents of unusual size, and they're all trying to kill you. So what do you do? Do you stay where you are and make the best of a safe, familiar life? Or do you chase the life of your dreams into the fire swamp? Obviously, you dive into the swamp, right? I mean, come on, that's why we're here. The real question is, how do you make it through? One way is to go with a trusted friend by your side. Someone who has been there before and can remind you to constantly ask, what don't I know? Expecting to encounter unfamiliar challenges and be alert enough to identify them with enough enough time to get help. That is the key thing. I've been very successful in avoiding disasters through my life by embracing the fact that I have weaknesses and not being so arrogant as to assume I know everything. The more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know yet. During the next hour, I will play the role of trusted friend and we'll make it across together. I started out exactly where you are now and as my professional and personal journey has developed, my mission has evolved. At every step along the path, I discovered new tools, opportunities, and connections to make the swamp less of a deadly stunt and more of an appealing challenge. Sometimes when I meet new people, I introduce myself as a recovering sound engineer. Why? Well, I used to really hate my job, if you can believe it. I didn't understand why parts of it were so painful and why I wasn't advancing as fast as I wanted to. I didn't realize it when I was starting sounddesignlive.com but it was to allow myself to eliminate the misunderstandings and misconceptions that made my job so hard, piece by piece. Now, when I look back at some of my most challenging points, they don't seem so bad. I think, man, why was that so intense? If I had just hung in there for a little bit longer, I would have been better off. That's why seeing yourself on a map can be so powerful because you can commit to the goal and see exactly how to get there. But I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, Let's talk about why people move from generalist to specialist. Uh, There are three reasons that I'm thinking of, and they're all good things. Uh, The reason why I think this is so important, important is that I used to get upset about this a lot, because I would get an idea for 
why what I wanted to specialize in, and then I would immediately go out and try to find clients, and then no one would hire me, and I would think, what's wrong with these stupid people? Or the audio industry has failed me, and it just wasn't time yet, really. Most of the time. I was making the wrong offer to the wrong people, or it wasn't the right time. So why do people move from generalist to specialist? Um, here are three reasons that I think are the biggest. Number one, it's hard to know what you're good at and enjoy without trying a few different options, right? So you not most people don't immediately specialize in system tuning, for example. Most people start out um, recording their friends' rock bands or something like that and then maybe trying some theater sound uh, and then maybe doing some recording. Oh, I said recording already. Uh, maybe doing some live sound, and little by little, they find out the things that they're good at and the things that they really enjoy and the things that people will pay for. So the second reason is that career capital is what you trade for control. So career capital is kind of this funny phrase that I'm going to be using a lot today. Um, capital just sort of mean like money or currency. So what I mean by that is that you are highly unlikely to just walk into a production company and say, hello, I'm Nathan Lively and I only work on sound system design for large-scale outdoor theatrical productions. And to immediately get that you know, highly specific, high-level position. Most of the time what happens is that you start out as a stagehand or general tech and build up enough experience and credibility, that's what I mean by career capital, to get the more specialized positions that you're after in the first place. There are a couple of times I remember when I tried to specialize too quickly in my career. Once I was offered a tour, if I would be the front of house engineer and the tour manager, um, I would have liked to have done either by itself, but I said no because I thought that doing both would be overwhelming. Since then, I've met several sound engineers uh, who do both and love it. Another time I went into my first meeting at a new production company and I said that I would only do sound system tuning. And they said, oh, okay, well, we really need people who can do anything, right? Not just tuning. I missed two opportunities that might have worked out for me. Okay, so the third reason that I see people generally moving from generalist to um, specialist is that it's really valuable to have a wide base of general skills. So that if work in your specialty isn't available at some point, you'll always have something to fall back on, but have a, a plan B. If you move to a new city, for example, it might take you a while to build up your career capital again, but you don't go hungry because you can jump back into general teching, for example. Um, so for those of you who are listening to the podcast version of this, because later on I'm just going to pull the audio uh, out of this video and put it online for the podcast, go to sounddesignlive.com right now and search for the Sound Engineer's Path webinar and open that up because there's going to be a link in there to the mind map, which I'm about to share with everyone else. One of the reasons why you're here is because we are going to talk about the top five paths in audio that I've seen. Um, this is all the research that I've done with interviewing sound engineers and all the work that I've done in um, my professional experience. So what I did was I went back and listened to all those interviews again and all the notes that I had, and I plotted out the paths to try to see where some of the similarities were. So the number one path that I saw was, oh wait, before I tell you that, let me show you how this mind map works. 
Um, so, oh, and the reason I'm telling you how this works is because I'm going to send you the link to it tomorrow. I'm not going to send it to you now because there's still a little bit of editing that I need to do before I make it public. Uh, so when you see just one branch here, you can cl click on this plus sign. That'll open up the next branch. Uh, things in green mean that that job is a full-time employee generally. Uh, and then everything else is freelance or independent contractor. And uh, having some kind of different background, like this yellow background, is generally what I think people have as their career focus. So if you are primarily an A1 for concert sound, then that would be your career focus. And then you might have some supplemental things, uh, other supplemental jobs that you do, like journalist or um, educator, that then would go in this bordered background area. Great, so that's how to use the map. Uh, oh, one more thing. See these green lines connecting things? Those are showing relationships um, because pro audio is not really a career ladder. As Darren De La Soul says, it's a career web, which means that you can go up on one part and then jump up to another and jump down to another. So it's kind of all over the place. And as I open up this map more and more, you'll see how things are interconnected. Um, okay, the most common path that I've seen interviewing people um, and in my own work is starts with you being interested in music or theater. Uh, then you do some kind of training, either uh, at an audio school here or at some kind of university in theater, film, or music. And then the next most common thing that I've seen people do is be either um, like freelance A2 for concert sound or be uh, work full-time at a concert venue. Um, and that's pretty common because working full-time at a concert venue will help you pick up skills and connections really quickly. So that's the one I'm going to talk about next. Uh, so concert, you'll see here, let's see. So university, a lot of people start working at these places even while they're still at the university. But you can't go full-time normally until you're done with school. Uh, concert venue runner or intern is pretty common. You might do that for a little while. Uh, or you might start right away as an A2 or an assistant at a concert venue. <clears throat> and then from there, it's pretty common that you may become the full-time person uh, as a house concert sound engineer. And when I open this up, you can see that... Um, a lot, uh, or a lot. Some of the some of the concert engineers that I know also do some AV teching on the side, or use that as supplemental income. And then look at when I open this up. If you started out in A two, like a freelance um, assistant, then you can pretty quickly move into A one for concert. And look at all the things that connect to this now, though. So you might be um, working full time at one music venue. But then you're making so many connections that you get a tour and then you're independent because then you have your own clients, right? So most of the time, sometimes you're working for a company if you're working for someone like Cirque du Soleil. And I'm assuming you're an employee. Um, but either way, uh, you can jump up to these other areas. And just to show you 
some other places that jump. I've talked to a lot of musicians who have already put a lot of effort into growing their professional music career, and then they can pretty easily jump over to getting their own clients and concert sound because they already have all those connections. And let's see... You can see some other jumps here. Some, sometimes people go to uh, study electrical engineering or computer science, and then right away they start freelancing in concert sound, but maybe that's not working out, so maybe they go do something else for a little while and then come back. What's the, hardest, the reason that this, as I open these up, is one of the reasons that these get so complicated and confusing is that you don't need any kind of license or certificate to call yourself an A1, to call yourself a sound engineer. So you can just say that you are um, an operatic sound engineer right now or whatever you want to call yourself, and you are. Poof, it's done. There's nothing keeping you from that except finding work and finding clients. So that's the reason that there's so many connections here. A lot of times people will jump to one thing, do it for a little while, maybe not make enough money or not enjoy it, and then switch to something else and then come back. Um, let's look at the focus here. Um, sorry, some of the I put a bunch of supplemental things because I think people who do concert sound tend to put together really interesting careers because of the hours, partly. So there's not a lot of people um, who do tours back to back to back, right? So you have a little time off. Um, and it's also good to have something if you are, especially if you're independent and you are not connected with a venue and working every night, it's really nice to have something like teaching that's more stable. So if your freelance sound is a little bit slow one month, you still have the teaching. So there's, I'll let you, you guys can explore this later when I send it to you tomorrow, but there's other things on here like being an author or a journalist, which I was attracted to, um, started doing that about four years ago. I also talked to a guy who was working at a music store while he was building up his concert sound business. Um, I feel like a lot of you are going to be disappointed that I put system tech as supplemental here. Uh, the reason for that is that I've met, I've interviewed zero system techs and I've heard of and met very few who just do that. Most people also still do concert sound, do monitors, do other tours, do other jobs. So um, I think there's very few people who actually do that full time. It's not that you can't, I just didn't want to make it its own branch on there. Uh, down here, you'll notice that I put corporate and business owner as supplemental to A1. And that's because these guys are still doing concert sound, most of them that I have met in reality. So I guess that's also why this map I think is interesting is I didn't just research this, you know, from like the Department of Labor Statistics. I used all people that I know, that I know personally. So this is really how people put um, their careers together. Um, you'll also notice that no one really is an A2 for corporate right out of school and then becomes an A1 for corporate. People just don't kind of dream of being a corporate sound engineer when they're growing up and building their careers. Um, let's see, but, but they do jump into it after audio school. 
I've noticed. And I haven't interviewed anyone, but I noticed that here in the Bay Area, there's a lot of people who um, right out of audio school need some kind of work, not really sure what to do, uh, searching for jobs on Craigslist and other job listing sites and, and kind of get into corporate audio to make some money. Um, and then I, th- I don't want to say a lot, but I think it's pretty common that as you are trying to build a career out of being in concert sound, you probably amass, you probably gain some equipment to do some rentals. And then there are some people who then keep doing that long enough that eventually they have a whole business where they're going to need employees because they have enough sound system equipment that they can send out more things that are just like they, they could do more than one event in a day. So they can't mix all of those things. So they have to start hiring people. And then they become more of a, a business owner or event producer uh, than just concert sound engineer. All right, so that's the most first most common path that I've seen. And like I said at the top of the webinar, I'm not going to spend a whole as much time as I did the first time I did this today because I want to have plenty of time in the end for us. Uh, the other thing is that if you guys have any questions about what I've gone over so far, please type them into the chat box and I'll check on that every once in a while. So the next most common path that I've seen is from musician to independent sound engineer or sound designer. So let me zoom out a little bit more. So look at the, all these different places that musician is connected to. Uh, some musicians are pro musicians for a while and then go back to school. Some of them jump over and start doing concert sound with the connections that I talked to about before. Um, and some of them get into theater and theater production. And as you'll see, I think here, ooh, look at that. So many things. Yeah, some musicians uh, also jump over to being sound designers for theater. Uh, I think that was fairly common in some of the first theatrical sound designers I was interviewing. Um, let me go ahead and talk about theater since um, I s- it has a lot of commonalities with concert sound. That is, people go to school, uh, they do some training a little bit, maybe as a freelance uh, or as um, uh, or full time, they might be full time at a theater right out of school. And some people go to graduate school. I saw this several times. People go to graduate school and then become a resident sound designer at a theater, doing sound design for all of their plays, and then eventually get their own clients and go freelance. Um, yeah, let me know if you guys have any more questions about the theater, theater, the sound design path there. The only other interesting thing is that I did interview, um, one guy who has spent most of his career in the union, um, which in the United States is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees and in the United Kingdom is British Academy of Film and Television Arts. So uh, this guy that I interviewed um, started out as what they call casual labor, just coming in every once in a while. Then he became an apprentice, and now he is full-time at the San Francisco Opera. And that's how that was his path to get there. And he is the only person I've ever talked to that has that path. So I'm not sure how common that is anymore, but that is another way to go. 
Let's see. Num- that was number two. So the third most common path that I see is is corporate audio. And like I said, there's no one who really starts out or has that goal. But there are plenty of people who end up making a career out of that. Um, and that's because... I think what happens most often is that people are trying to make a career in sound, in in a concert audio, that is, and then they need something else to supplement their income, and they're looking around, searching for jobs. They discover corporate audio. It pays pretty well. There's never a lack of meetings. Um, people love having meetings. And if they're good at it and they don't mind the type of work that it is, um, it's a great way to make some money and and then sometimes people go full-time with that. So of people that I've talked to and interviewed, that has been one of the most common paths. Now let's see, I had one question on here. When a person does finish education training at undergrad, grad level, how would they get around being overqualified? Oh, yeah. (laughs) That is just the nature of the audio industry, unfortunately. And... I have lived in several different cities in three different countries. And it's so annoying that every time I've moved, I have to basically start all over again, start from the bottom and build my credibility indicators up again. And it's faster each time. And I've learned some tricks to make it go quicker. Um, But ah, the, the problem of being overqualified has only ever been in my head. I mean, yeah. So, so I would say that it's not really a problem. It's, it's a problem for you because you want to get started right away and you want to jump into one thing or another. Um, but I, I'd say generally it's not a problem for anyone else. I don't know. I hope, I hope that helps a little bit, Irene. I know that's not exactly what you wanted to hear. Um, but you know what? If you, if you want some more detail on that question... I would say email me later and maybe I can sit down and think about who uh, would be a better example of someone that's successfully done that and how they did it. Um, let's see. So the fourth most common path that I've seen is actually uh, moving into software and hardware. And maybe that's because uh, I'm near San Francisco and we have a lot of startups here and things like that um, doing software and hardware. But let me move up to that space. Yeah, so one person that I interviewed and a friend of mine both kind of started, well, one person I know started out actually at a theme park and then went into theater and then they were working on, they were working so intimately with a specialized piece of hardware and communicating with the manufacturer so much that eventually that manufacturer offered them a job because they were so good at like beta testing all the stuff they were putting out. So that person became a product specialist at a hardware company um, and then now is a project manager at a at another hardware company. Another person that I know uh, has a pretty interesting career where he did concert sound successfully for a while um, and then when he wanted to have a family and not be out late and travel around so much, he decided to get a job at a speaker manufacturing company and he was there as the... Um, I think he was doing tech support for a while and now he works at Apple, something having to do with audio that of course he can't tell me about. But um, there are a lot of interesting things you can do if you have a background in audio that aren't necessarily just working on events or recording forever. 
Okay, so the last most of the top five that I promised I would tell you guys about, um, the most popular one I think is film and broadcast. And I don't have a lot to say about that because I still haven't interviewed someone and gotten the specifics of their career path. Um, but from what I know, um, just from people that I've met and uh, some stuff that I've read, let's see, this is not what I wanted to open. TV and film um, is that uh, you generally start out as some kind of trainee, either on the production or the post-production path. It's just good to be aware that those paths do lead somewhere. So if you start out in the production path and you get a lot of experience there, and then you want to jump ahead, you might have to go back a step. Um, so generally start as a trainee to an assistant to either a production recorder if you want to work in the studio or a production mixer if you want to work more on location. Uh, sort of similar with broadcast except um, you can come into that as an A2 and then an A1 for television broadcast. And I know some people who have done concert for a while, also done corporate, and then it's kind of the corporate events training and being an AV tech that gives you some relevant experience that helps you then if you want to jump into broadcast. And I just realized I didn't cover recording at all, but recording, theater, and concert sound, I believe, share a lot of similarities. So let me open that up. Um, Yeah, so some of the people that I've interned that I've interned, that I've interviewed, started out as interns or some kind of runner at a studio, I believe. Um, Ken Pooch Van Druten, for example, who I interviewed last year, who now mixes Lincoln Park, started out as a runner intern at a studio while he was in school. Um, then I'm sure he was an assistant for a little while before, you know, by the end of four years that he was in school, he worked at this place all the time um, and he was basically running the place. So then he was the in house sound engineer, got his own clients. And now he is an independent recording engineer uh, doing really well. Um, And recording engineers, as you can see, uh, also jump up to Concert Sound. And that's what he's doing with Linkin Park mostly is um, the live sound for them. Um, I may cut this one because I haven't seen that it's super common. But I did interview a guy who went from recording studio intern, hated it, got into marketing, also didn't really like that and then got back into concert sound and really loves that now and is uh, he does concert sound plus tour manager. Okay, those are all the top ones. Uh, again, if you guys have any questions, go ahead and type those in, but I'm going to move on because I have some good stuff to share beyond just the basics of this path. Uh, let me zoom out here because I'm going to leave this open and then as I talk more, Uh, We'll refer back to this. Oh, man, it's giant. Can we even zoom all the way out? You can barely read it. Okay. Some of this... You know what? I'm going to zoom in. So some of this is going to get cut off, but you can see most of it. Okay, so how do you choose which path is best for you? By the way, you guys, I know that I'm talking fast and there's going to be some things in here that you want to write down, but um, I'm going to be sending out the recording tomorrow so you can watch it again and pause it and replay it wherever you want.
Ah, so how to choose which path is best for you. Move this window over here. So before I get into um, that, I need to tell you guys a secret. I've been using this metaphor of the fire swamp and the princess bride, right? And myself as a tour guide. But this is the point in the journey when I reveal to you that you never actually get out of the fire swamp. Surprise. Um, you are here at this webinar because you have decided that you want to do something meaningful and adventurous with your life. You're here to do good work. Working in audio, being an entrepreneur, and just living life means waking up every day excited to meet the challenges of the day. So you learn the dangers of the fire swamp and eventually you look forward to them. Solving problems becomes your forte. Uh, so yeah, sorry about that. You never actually get out, but you do learn to love it and really enjoy the challenge. Uh, choosing which path is best for you. There is a, two steps to that. One, uh, they're both kind of verification steps. First one is, will you love it? And the second one is, are people paying for it? So how do you know if you'll love it? How do you know if you'll love the path that you're on? There are three parts that I think are really important. The first one is autonomy. The second one is mastery. And the third one is purpose. And for each of them, I have a few questions that I, wanna, I want you to ask yourself that I think should lead you to answers of whether or not the path is correct. So under autonomy, I would ask, do you feel like you have a satisfying level of autonomy with this work? And does the job ever force you to work with people you really dislike? So, well, I'm going to talk a little bit about each of those paths that I mentioned before, but I can go ahead and tell you that if autonomy is really important to you and having control over where you work and when you work and who you work for, then that first path of being um, basically a freelance A2 and then a freelance A1 and adding things to that sort of supplemental things of being in concert sound, that could be really good for you because you pretty quickly are involved in a lot of autonomy, a lot of independent work. You show up, you kind of do the job how you want. And there's a lot of that in the audio industry in general, but that's one of them. Um, does the job ever force you to work with people you really dislike? Consider that if you're thinking about corporate audio because you'll end up working with um, companies that you hate and companies that you love. To whereas in concert audio, you're kind of always working with artists, some of them who you might not like, but maybe you still like their art. So there's this balance. But with corporate audio, it's kind of like if, if you don't like the company, it's kind of hard to get around that. Uh, so that was autonomy. Uh, the second was mastery. And by mastery, I mean mastery of craft. So the questions I want you to ask yourself are, is there still more for you to learn in this field? Another way to say that might be, are there difficult activities you can engage in that will stretch abilities where they need to be stretched. So if you are in-house concert sound engineer for one music venue that has the same band every night, uh, which is one what one of the people that I've interviewed did, she was working at a theme park doing the same show every day, pretty quickly grew tired of it because you know you get it down and then it's just muscle memory doing the same show every night. 
Second question, are there opportunities to distinguish yourself by developing relevant skills that are rare and valuable? What are you really good at that when you do it really well, people care and they remark about it and they tell other people who then hire you? Uh, the third one is, oh, sorry, I was, there's actually just two. Another way to say that second one is, do you feel that there are certain skills in the job that help you stand out the better that you get at them? And I can't go too deeply into all of these questions right here. I just want you to think about the path that you're on now, think are what's most likely for you to happen in the future, and then try to predict how these questions are going to work out. Okay, so the third part is purpose. Do you feel like you're working towards something greater than yourself on these projects? Again, I'm going to pick on concert sound and corporate audio because I think those they have some contrasting elements. So, um, do you feel like you're working towards something greater than yourself on these projects? If you're working on, sometimes when you're working on co- corporate sound and corporate audio, corporate events, you might come in and you just feel like a cog in a wheel and you don't really know why you're there or what you're doing. You just know that you have to set up this one specific thing. It can really help you to understand what the purpose of it all is. And in concert sound, that can be a little bit easier. Like, we're going to do a great show. We're going to entertain people. We're going to improve people's lives with our art. Um, But there are other ones where that's a little bit harder to answer. Uh, And the second question is, do you ever feel like the job focuses on something that you think is useless or perhaps even actively bad for the world? So... Uh, sorry, I just keep using corporate audio because it's easy to pick on, but is the company that you're about to do an event for trying to do something that's bad for the world? And I don't know how you guys feel about Monsanto, but it would be tough for me to work on an event for them because mainly because I've worked on several other events where they talk so poorly about Monsanto and all the terrible things that they're doing to the earth. Okay, so consider those questions. Um, I'm going to refer to those again. Uh, but I would love for each one of you to look at where you are in the path, answer those questions, and try to think about whether or not you need to make a change so that um, you don't bump into these things later and be surprised and hate it. Okay, so I said we were going to, the second part of verification was are people paying for it? Why do I ask this? Uh, money is just a good indicator to decide if people are giving value to something. So ask yourself, can I build a financially successful business around this niche? Do I have enough career capital to make a bid for more control? This goes back to what I was saying about moving from a generalist to a specialist. Um, You can make little bets and say, I'm going to add a little bit more of this or maybe I can try to find a client who will hire me just to do this one specific task instead of being such a generalist. And then if you can find one person that will hire you to do that, maybe you can find two. Um, So if people are willing to pay for it, then it probably has value. That means other people will probably pay for it and you can build a whole career out of it. Uh. I hope that made sense to you guys. Let's see. Let me check on any questions. Gary says that in today's market, having the skills of tour manager, production manager, and engineer will help keep you employed regularly. Great point. Yeah, 
like I said earlier, I missed out on an opportunity because I said, no, I didn't want to have to do all those things. But I don't think you have to be afraid, especially if you haven't tried, right? Because if you haven't tried, then all of your assumptions are just assumptions. Um, let's see. So we're talking about how to know if you're on the right path. So I just want to give you a few notes on each of those paths that we were talking about. The first one was the path that kind of goes from training to house sound engineer to independent to maybe business owner. So if you care a lot about autonomy, I mentioned before, and purpose, then you should probably follow a path like this first one that will click quickly lead you to being an independent contractor. Also, this path can work well for you if you embrace the work right ethos instead of the right work. What I mean by that is that you care more about doing really good work on every opportunity you get, you're given than only accepting specific opportunities. So everything that comes along, you say, great, I get to work in audio. I uh, might not be exactly what I'm interested in or what my specialty is, but I'm going to do great work on this. And that moves you forward. Second one was from musician to independent. And this path can work well for you if you have already built a career as a professional musician or you are working on one currently. And what's important here is that you already have many ties with the people who are hiring you as a sound engineer or, sorry, will hire you as a sound engineer or a sound designer. The third path was the corporate path. And not a lot of people think of this one, but corporate is actually a great place to start if you want to start making some money and are not interested in working for free for a few years until you get your own clients like at a recording studio. And then the last webinar, someone asked, how do I use kind of the credibility that I've built up in corporate audio and move into concert audio? Or I think what he said was, why is that so hard? And I didn't, I didn't really have an answer, but it is totally true. And just to go back to look at this map a little bit, we see that corporate audio jumps down to broadcast. Um, but I think it's true that if you spend a lot of time in corporate audio, it's hard to get concert um, or theater clients out of that. They don't often go in that direction. Okay, let's see, where was I? So number four is software and hardware. Um, so if you're starting out and you find that you are so much into the tools of audio and show production that you have ideas for improvements, then this may be a good path for you to focus on. Uh, this is also a good way to add more stability into your life uh, in terms of income um, and traveling. Uh, the last one was talking about film and broadcast. So film and broadcast seem to me like a great combination of storytelling and production quality of theater, but with the technology of recording studios added in. So if you don't mind being an intern and then an apprentice for a few years, then that kind of patience will benefit you on this path. And I'm going to talk more about patience a little bit later. Okay, so we're into the home run stretch the secret to staying the course. I have three what I think are really important ideas for you here. They're not all hard. Um, they're just important to keep in mind. So the number one is feedback. Constantly solicit feedback from your colleagues, clients, and peers to put yourself in positions where you are required to submit work for review. People don't do this very often. And if you figure out how to do this regularly, you will advance quicker. 
Um, it's pretty easy to just do shows and then, you know, high five everyone on the way out. It's a little bit harder to get their feedback and say, what did you like about that? What worked well for you? And as you ask those questions, you'll figure out what people really care about and then you'll start to fine tune your work. Um, let's see. Number two, identify your unique and valuable skills. Focus relentlessly on what value you are offering to the world. So I guess all of these are just about being more aware of where you are in the path and what's happening to you and the desire to move forward. As you do each job, you want to figure out along the way what you're really good at. So be aware of when people are giving you feedback and they're saying, wow, that went great tonight. And you can say, oh, what did you really like about it? Or if someone says, I really like working with you, you can say, oh, what, what do you like about working with me? Keep mental note of those things because you want to focus on the things that are unique and valuable to you. Uh, number three is patience and, or as I like to call it, being unstoppable. This is the easiest one to talk about, but the hardest one to actually follow through with. One of the biggest parts of success in this audio game is just sticking around the longest, for better or worse. Once you decide on a path, you will need to continually reject shiny new pursuits that jump up to draw you away and distract you. Um, so that's what I was talking about earlier with the patience of sticking around as if you're going to try and follow that path of being an intern in a studio, got to really have a lot of patience. And that's probably why I never did that. But how do you know when to pivot or how do you know when to quit and try something else if the path isn't quite working for you? Go back to those verification steps that we talked about earlier and ask yourself those questions again. Guess what? You're a slightly different person every day. Every day that you wake up, you're going to want something slightly different. So don't freak out about it. Just accept it and decide how to respond. Has your focus shifted so much that it's time to move into a different path or do you just need to correct course a little bit? What little bets can you make to try out your assumptions, as I mentioned earlier, without evidence, everything you think is just assumptions, right? Okay, let me check the box one more time. No more new stuff. Okay, let's talk about what you need for continued support and success along your chosen path. All right, I'm going to move this window out of the way. I'm going to stop the screen sharing so I can see all of the people again. Uh, let me pin my video. There we go. So now you should just see me instead of the screen. Um, I'm pasting a link into the chat box right now. I'd like for everybody to head over there. So this is my plan for you for continued support. It's called the Pro Audio Business Blueprint, zero to 4K in six months. The complete strategy for more confidence, clients, and cash with a fulfilling career in audio. So if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see some of the details. The very first thing is that the intention with this program is to earn $4,000 per month. Um, why $4,000? You probably don't need specifically $4,000 a month. Everyone needs something a little bit different, but it will be very valuable for us all to focus on the same number and support each other in the program, as you'll see a little bit farther down. So who's this program for? Audio entrepreneurs, sound engineers, sound designers, and 
AV technicians, people just like you, who may have the technical skills already, but they need help getting themselves out there, learn to network efficiently, um, figure out which path is the best fit for them. Uh, a lot of what we've been talking about today, and a lot of times just people who want to take the next step and grow their career to work on bigger, more complicated productions. Uh, you can see a whole list there of things that we'll be covering, things like getting touring and festival work, attracting high-profile clients. Um, and the last one, which interestingly is the one that comes up every time I talk to people um, about their careers, and they say that they're, the biggest thing holding them back, their biggest obstacle is self-confidence. So a big part of this program, obviously, is going to be how to boost your self-confidence and be unstoppable. Okay, you'll see some cool testimonials there that I already got from people that I've worked with. Um, one from Tim, he was on the webinar earlier today. Uh, a little bit about me. I talked about it myself a little bit already earlier today, but uh, if you don't know my podcast or my website already, there's a few stats. Um, but the one that I'll point out is that basically I've spent my entire career as a guinea pig for this program. And I try to bring that experience to the coaching environment to create specific steps and guidance for your career. So what is this program? What is this plan? It is a group coaching program. So we will meet weekly and have calls and talk about the next step that we're going to make and how it's working for everyone. There's a private online forum, so everyone will have individualized attention. And probably most importantly, the experience and support of your 29 fellow participants who will be learning alongside of you and sharing what is and is not working for them in their career. And it's 29 because I'm only allowing in 30 people for this program. And currently... Um, I believe there are 23 spaces available. So a lot of information for you to check out here, but the bottom line is that during the next six months, I will only work with 30 people, so I'm expecting a 100% success rate. If you truly want to move forward in your career and have not committed yourself to making focused daily improvements, then this is your opportunity to change that. And there's a 30-day guarantee, so I would like to make a personal invitation for everyone at this webinar today to go ahead and sign up, attend group calls, access all the teaching materials, post questions in the forum for a full 30 days uh, starting on February 22nd. Okay, so that's all I want to share with you today. If there are any questions that I didn't get to, please email me or find me online. Uh, you can find my contact at sounddesignlive.com. Thanks everyone for coming to the webinar and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Sound design. Yeah.